This is Strange Assembly episode 251, PAX Unplugged 2018. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there. You can also subscribe to it on the Apple Podcasts app, iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, and Spotify. You can find us at the usual social media haunts. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter and Instagram. As you could tell from the title, this episode is going to be about the second annual PAX Unplugged. But first, I have an announcement. We had been running a contest to give away a copy of Dungeons & Dragons Art & Arcana, a visual history. That contest has ended, and the book was won by Patreon supporter Charles. So thank you for your support, Charles. Charles has been contacted, and we'll be getting the copy of the book to him. Second, before I go into what I did at PAX Unplugged, I did want to note that if you've been listening to our convention episodes over the years, there's going to be something a little odd about this one, and that's that there's just me on it. For years now, these convention episodes, uh, mostly Gen Con, but also PAX Unplugged last year, have been me and Jay Earl. It was a little weird that Jay was not (laughs) at a convention with me, and that so Jay is not on this episode to talk about what he did at the convention. He was not able to attend PAX Unplugged. So, Jay, if you're listening, then, um, man, I'm a little sad that you weren't able to come. And if you're not listening, why are you not listening? Come on, you're. how can you not listen to the episodes that you're not on, Jay? Seriously, man, get with the picture. But, PAX Unplugged 2018. This is the second annual PAX Unplugged. This is the tabletop gaming spin-off of, you know, all of the other Penny Arcade Expos. It has unsurprisingly been extremely successful. It was significantly bigger this year than it was last year. PAX Unplugged I think still does, uh, but it de- definitely last year and I think it still does and we'll see how long this lasts occupies what feels like a pretty distinctive space in the tabletop gaming world because it's not a huge convention yet. It's it's big, but it's not huge yet. But it's extremely professionally run. And so oftentimes you, you have this choice between things that are huge, at least for tabletop gaming, things that are huge, like Gen Con, and then things that are more like the you know, 200 people in a hotel over a weekend using the meeting rooms kind of conventions. And, and obviously there's there's space in between there. But I, I came to think of PAX Unplugged last year as a, like Reno, which has this saying, it, des- they des- it describes itself as the littlest big city in the country. And I, I think PAX Unplugged has felt like that. This year, like I said, it was much bigger. They don't release official attendance, so we're never going to be able to say officially what the attendance was. But you could tell, even before anyone showed up, that they were expecting a much bigger crowd because they just had a lot more space 
set up this year. Like last year, the large expo space had board gaming tables and it had the exhibit hall or the expo hall and then it had some tournament space and then also it had some space that was sectioned off for some of the live events and all of that was in the one big area that was not the case this year you know you come in that come under that arch where the the convention center goes over the street and you could look to one side and you could see the role-playing space okay they had that last year but on the other side of the street there was this massive tournament play space that I don't believe that PAX Unplugged occupied at all last year. And so right right from the moment that I walked in, I could see that they were expecting something bigger. I would guess that the exhibit hall had at least twice as much space set aside for for you know for game companies and, and little stores. Lots of dice. Lots of dice being sold. And that's at least twice that. Uh, it, it may have been more, right? I'm not taking out a measuring tape. But a couple of things, the way that, the way that PAX Unplugged is, is a bit different if you ever end up going there. One, they have the, the PAX Enforcers, who are the volunteers, and they're fantastic. They're all over the place. They're extremely professional. They're extremely helpful. Uh, I think they do an absolutely great job. And the other thing I would note is that, you pick on this pretty quick once you get there, but you don't have to have tickets for most of the events, most of the game playing that you can do, even if they're scheduled, but do not think that you can actually show up at the start time and play. I, I mean, I can't tell you, because it's going to depend on which event, how early you have to show up, but, you know, you might want to show up half an hour early for things if you want to actually be able to get into them. But then, on, on to my PAX Unplugged. Uh, now, I am going to do a few topical breakdowns, and then I'm just going to go through some things that I saw in, let's say, alphabetical order, because why not? I've, you know, every other time I do it chronologically, as I went through the convention, phooey on that. Alphabetical order, that's bold and different, right? But first, I want to start off with the topic of role-playing games, because I did a lot of role-playing at... PAX Unplugged. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last half year, you've probably noticed a significant increase in role-playing content, and you've also noticed that if you've been looking at the website at any time over the last few months, I have been personally doing more and more role-playing within the realm of of tabletop, and so I'm going to lead off with that here. And because I, I did a lot of that at, at PAX Unplugged. And indeed, my role-playing at PAX Unplugged was almost entirely powered by the apocalypse. So if you have not played it, it is a usually relatively rules-light system, although it gets adapted in a lot of ways through a lot of other games. It, as a core mechanic, has a very straightforward roll 2d6 atom up. If you have been overly tracking my sorts of opinions, you may find it unusual that I'm enthusiastic about something that's that's 2d6. And the reason I'm generally unenthusiastic about that is that a 2d6 roll has such a statistical hump in it that just, you know, minor variations in, in what a bonus is or what the target number is can have enormous impacts. And so 
over the years not been very enthusiastic about that when it gets used in a game that's trying to be really mechanically rigorous. But that's just not what Apocalypse World is good at, and that's not really what the sort of Power by the Apocalypse games that I played at PAX Unplugged are about. They're much more about vibe and character interaction and the feels, especially the feels, for some of them. So I'll start off with the the ultimate feels game, I think, which is Monster Hearts 2. Monster Hearts 2 is a game of, well, I mean, you're supernatural high schoolers and there's going to be a lot of kissing, shall we say. I think if you wanted to compare it to any one media property, you'd go with Vampire Diaries. Right, we're talking about a high school setting, lots and lots of melodrama, every single supernatural creature in the world showing showing up there, vampires and werewolves and ghosts and witches and everything else. And each of these is in playbook form, which is how Powered by the Apocalypse games are, are usually doing that and how everything that I'm talking about here is where your character is not just oh, you make a werewolf and then you make whatever kind of character you want as a werewolf or as a vampire and you make whatever kind of character you want as a vampire. When you are picking one of these playbooks, picking one of these supernatural types, you are choosing a particular sort of story. The vampire is a user, as in other people. The werewolf is just lots of pent-up rage and aggression. If you play the mortal, because there is the one mortal playbook... Right, you're that character who's always latching on to other supernaturals, and this is greatly going to be to your detriment. And then, though you actually draw power and control off of this stuff that is done to you to your detriment. So, Monster Hearts is all about smashing these characters together in relationships of, you know, romantic and non-romantic kinds, and this is where you also really get to see one of the other aspects of the playbooks and the Powered by the Apocalypse system, which is that you are going to have built-in connections when you are putting the characters together. You're always going to have one of these, okay, you've you've got your general idea of what your character is, now we're going to sit down for that's session zero. Obviously, there's no session zero for a con game. You just do it all right there all at once. And you are going to have questions like, okay, there's there's one character that you did some creepy spying on. Pick who it is, take two strings on them. Uh, in, in Monster Hearts 2, it's strings, as in pull someone's strings. That's the sort of defining interaction between the characters. And you just have this great system where forcing the players to throw out these interactions that their characters have had in the past and the feelings that they've had about those interactions really gets a group dynamic going really quickly and so the the like the, the really light character creation and this sort of automatic interaction can produce pretty good one-shot role-playing sessions with these powered by the apocalypse games even though these are games that are about interaction and feeling and not just things where you're showing up and have to complete a mission, say, over the course of the four-hour thing. As fun as those can be, this is a, a different sort of thing. So I got to play Monster Hearts 2. I played the Mortal. I'm not going to bore you 
over all of these with the particulars of what my characters did, because that's really boring to someone who wasn't there. And it's also really hard to do with Monster Hearts, because I put a clean tag on this podcast, and Monster Hearts is not a game that lends itself to that sort of tag. So, but I had a great time with Monster Hearts 2, uh, and if you want to check that out, that is by Avery Adler. The next two Powered by the Apocalypse games I played were from Magpie. And I want to say something over the top like, Magpie is my new favorite role-playing game company. That wouldn't actually be true, because there are a lot of really great role-playing game companies out there, and they make a lot of games that I I really love. So I'm not going to say Magpie is my new favorite, but man, Magpie has been doing some great, great stuff over the last few years. And I played two of their games, and one was Masks, A New Generation, and the other one was Urban Shadows. Masks is a teenage superhero game. It's sort of, you know, think like Teen Titans, Young Justice, X-Men Evolution from back in the day. These shows and comics, right, because then you've got Young Avengers and Young X-Men and the New Mutants and all that too to draw on, but these shows and comics that are about the characters being superheroes, but are also about the characters figuring out who they are. So, for example, in Masks, the interaction currency, as it were, is influence. Does another character have influence over you? Do you care what they think about you? And each of the characters in Masks has labels of danger and freak and savior and mundane. And what these really do is represent how the character thinks about themselves. If you think of yourself as a freak, your freak label is going to go higher, and that has a mechanical effect. There are certain moves where you roll freak or you roll mundane, and that's what the modifier is. But when other people take influence over you, when you open up to other people, they can actually attempt to shift your labels in ways that you may or may not want. So some of your teammates, or maybe all of your teammates, will have influence over you. This depends on which playbook you are, different kinds of characters care more or less about what their teammates think, but all adults have influence over you by default. So you might have something like your character going out and doing something irresponsible, and then you're helped and lectured by one of the adult heroes, you know, who's trying to tell you that you need to tone it down and you need to play it a little bit more safe. And you as a, a, the, a player then have the choice of either accepting that speech on the part of the adult hero, which will shift your labels. Like your mundane goes up, your danger goes down. You know, you're internalizing that. This is how I am. This is how I should be. This is how I can be. Or you have the option to reject that, which can have its own consequences as well. So, and there's there's a lot more of the game. If you go to strangeassembly.com, we've got a written review of that. There's also a written review of Monster Hearts 2 up on the website, although it's a bit further back. The the Masks one is not that long ago. And uh, the playbook that I used in this was the Bull. The Bull is a character who... 
was created in some way. You got them. I mean, you're sort of like could be just literally a created in the lab kind of thing, and just has some generic punchy toughness kind of powers. But what really defines them is that they tend to be angry, bull in a china chop sort of thing with with almost everybody. But then their defining relationships are they have a love and a rival, and the love does not have to be a romantic love. It's just someone that they care about in a positive way and then you got the rival which is somebody they care about in a negative way and they kind of want to show up you know this could be a character like the connor kent superboy or uh maybe america chavez over in in marvel and so i had a really good time with this again our game master for this game uh he did a really good job it is amazing to me how well some of the the people who get together for conventions are able to pull this kind of stuff together on the fly because when you are running a one-shot of a game like Monster Hearts or Masks or Urban Shadows, you don't get to come into it with a set plot because you have no idea who the characters are going to be. And it is not something that you can do to just have some prefixed plot that you know the characters are going to run into. So we had things that came up in this, like, oh, why your character's the bull? They were created by Zero Labs, these things that I just made up on the fly during the very brief character creation. And then all of a sudden that gets worked into the existence of the city. We had somebody playing the Legacy playbook at our table, and the Legacy is a playbook that is about being the most recent scion of a line of superheroes. I probably shouldn't use Scion because they actually just released a separate Scion playbook in Masks Unbound, but you know what I mean. And, you know, so all of a sudden that is a hero that then is going to get populated. Partially it's about making sure that the players play off of each other, uh, and partially it's about throwing things back onto the players because the players then get to define stuff. But still, you got to do a, a lot of thinking on your feet. I've actually not game mastered any of these things that I'm talking about. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance to. I'd, I'd kind of like to try to do a one-shot of these because, man, sometimes I am not really good at being fast about these things, right? I'm the kind of player who can sit there and have, you know, the four-page backstory sometimes for my character of stuff that matters not at all. And you don't need that stuff. And in fact, sometimes that stuff can be harmful because it takes your character and creates them as this own distinct separate thing which which matters but what's important about a lot of these role-playing experiences is the way that your character interacts with the other characters and again it's just a really great way that the the powered by the apocalypse wraps around on that but maybe i'll i'd like to try that sometime but i don't know that i'd want to be the players who get guinea pigged with me except you know you guys that i've already talked to about that you totally want to be the players who i guinea pig on this it'll be great i swear the third of these big sessions I had with a Powered by the Apocalypse game was Urban Shadows. Uh, and I think that this this game of Urban Shadows I played kind of goes to show how important the players in the game are. Because out of these three games, Urban Shadows is probably the one that's least suited to a one-shot at a convention. If I may be so bold as to compare them, the general theme of, of of Urban Shadows, it's labeled as urban fantasy, but it's... I, I have a hard time avoiding thinking of it as something like all of the World of Darkness shoved into one game, 
right? Because you have vampires and you have werewolves and you have demons and you have witches and you have, you know, all of these other things, hunters, grizzled veteran cops, and they're all together and these different factions squabble. And I mean, they're together constantly in a way that they aren't in the world of darkness, but there's a lot of difference, but it's the same kind of thing where you have one, you know, dark urban universe that has all of these supernaturals in it. But Urban Shadows has a lot of faction-based thing, right? You know, the labels, we've talked about labels and rolling in in Masks, it was those things like Freak and Danger and Savior. In Monster Hearts, you roll hot or you roll dark or you roll cold. Like, you roll hot if you're trying to turn someone on. You roll cold if you're trying to shut someone down and insult them. You roll volatile if you're physically lashing out at someone. One of the things that they do in Urban Shadows, which is a little bit more complicated than the other ones, there's a separate ones where you sometimes roll faction, and then you actually have advancements based on rolling faction rather than on necessarily just missing and uh, and marking potential. There's a lot of these games. Whenever you, okay, if you succeed, you succeed, but if you fail, you mark potential, and that's how the character you know advances. Urban Shadows is is more of a campaign sort of game because you are going to have a lot of tracking of the political interactions between these factions, which does not work as well in a one-shot setting. But, but we had such a great group of this. And again, I'm, I'm not going to sit and make you listen to a recounting of this, this playbook. I was the, the oracle in this one, if you're curious. But we seemed to have a group of players and characters that we were able to immediately play off of each other. Some of the players, you know, knew each other coming in, but mostly we did not. But we were able to just really immediately hook the characters into each other. The Game Master, they were able to look at people's character sheets and with just sort of, you know, like a five, ten minute brainstorming session really drag things in to that. I, you know, like there is this, we had this thing at, at the end where, you know, there was a, a kid who was at a park who was getting threatened. And the game master mentioned that like part of the reason why that happened was because my characters, one of the things that you have to write for the Oracle playbook in Urban Shadows is, is what do you desperately need? And, the thing that I put for what does what what does she desperately need is to find her son, and so you know that she had had a son who was snatched, and like okay, let's and now this is going to get wrapped in where there's the same sort of situation that gives the character this great motivation. Partially, it was an ability then I think on the part of the players to to do dramatic things and painful things for the characters that that really worked out well because. You sometimes have a balance with these where you have mechanics in these games where in a long-term campaign you're hesitant to use them too much because they inflict permanent damage on the character. And in a one-shot campaign, well, this character's gone, so you also have to watch out for those things in a one-shot campaign because if people just use them over and over and over again, they mean nothing. So, for example, in a game of masks, there's a playbook called The Doomed. And The Doomed is doomed, I- indeed. All right? They have a doom track, and they have some powerful moves they can pull up 
that advance them on the Doom Track, and if they, you know, fill up their, their Doom Track too much before they figure out a way to face down their nemesis, then they're done. Like, that's it. The nemesis is going to show up. They are going to lose. They are going to die or worse. And and similarly, in, in Urban Shadows, there's, you know, a mechanic called corruption, which you wouldn't want to use too much. But it's intrinsic. You can't get rid of it. And so in Masks, I would say you you would not usually let someone play a Doomed in a one-shot because either they don't really use their Doom track or they just go crazy with it and it, it doesn't matter that much. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to do, but we seem to have a group in this that was able to let bad things happen to the characters in dramatic fashion. So, like, it actually felt like it mattered to us for these characters. And, right, we had one of the characters who sacrificed herself, who died. And the player was able to execute that in a way that it really felt like it mattered, even though this was a one-shot session with characters we were never going to see again, mostly with players we were never going to see again. But, uh, I mean, I don't know, I, I had like, such a good time, I almost... Try, I was going to try, actually, to get into Bluebeard's Bride later in that evening because everyone else at the table was going to be in the evening Bluebeard's Bride, which I, I wasn't going to do at PAX Unplugged because I had just... I mean, I say just done it at Gen Con as if that wasn't three months ago, but y- you know what I mean. Except I probably wasn't going to be able to get in because I that is a thing where you need to sign up early in the morning to be able to play in the evening... And I would have angled for it anyway, except then there was the, you know, 7 o'clock game of Monster Hearts 2 kicking up, and I couldn't pass on that. So, I had a good time with all of these games, but if any of the players at my table of Urban Shadows on Saturday afternoon happened to be listening to this, it was, any of the players or the, the Game Master, it was fantastic playing with all of you. That was my single most enjoyable thing at PAX Unplugged was that session of Urban Shadows. And that is great. So, I have been talking for a good bit now about Powered by the Apocalypse and these Magpie games. So, now seems like a good time to let you listen to somebody else talk about Magpie games. And so, I'm going to throw it now to my interview with Brendan Conway at Magpie Games, who's the uh, creator of Masks. We're here at PAX Unplugged with Brendan Conway at the Magpie booth. We've got the whole mess of uh, the little small uh, RP, uh, small size RPGs here. Uh, I've written on the website about how great Masks is. So, But did you have anything to do with that? I mean, I had a little bit to do with it. Like, I touched it once, <laughs> I think, at some point. I'm the lead designer and writer on Masks, yeah. So that's kind of my baby. Um, And it has been a source of joy and wonder and happiness and, you know, maybe a little bit of aggravation here and there for several years now. Well, if if there's no aggravation, then there's nothing to overcome and then there's no sense of accomplishment, right? There you go. There you go. Well said. Well said. Very (laughs) Masksian. Yeah, and now, so I... On, on our website, I've only, I've only talked about the Core Masks book, but you have another mask supplement that just came out, right? Yep, this is our third mask supplement. This is the last major mask supplement funded by the original Kickstarter. It's called Masks Unbound. And the entire point of it is to take masks into crazy new directions. 
So it has a playset where you are going on a cosmic road trip and you're essentially collecting the Infinity Gems. It has a playset in which you are playing what amount to defenders in Marvel's uh, Hell's Kitchen kind of setting, a lower-powered street-level place where you are defending the person who lives down the street from you, not necessarily the whole world. Uh, it has one where you are guerrilla fighters against an alien invasion, almost like Red Dawn, where the aliens have come in, they've occupied the entire city, theoretically everything's fine, or at least they want everybody to believe that, and you are waging a war against them without the help of the adults or other organizations filling in there. And then it has Phoenix Academy, in which you are playing the students at the premier metahuman academy in the entire city which has always gone just fine. There have never been any issues with any kind of superhero school ever. So, so in, in the Masks core book, you can play Young Justice Season 1, and then Masks Unbound, you can play Young Justice Season 2. Yep, that's exactly it, yes. <laughs> like, there, there is enough flexibility in the framework that we wanted to play with it, and the whole point of these playsets is they provide you the specific tools that you need in order to shift the core game into that particular setting. Uh, and this, of course, is all supplemented by three new playbooks. Um, we have the Scion, who is the child of a supervillain, uh, trying to prove there's something different. We have the Nomad, who has bounced around all of space and time even, and they've come back to Earth. And they're kind of trying to fit back in and put down roots in some capacity, or at least make human connections. Uh, and then we have the Harbinger, who came back in time from the future to change the timeline. But the process of coming back in time has jumbled their memories, their knowledge, the exact sequence of events they need to avert or alter or create. It's not clear to them. So they're kind of wandering around in the dark the same way as everybody else's. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so on, and at the, the Magpie booth, there's a, a variety of masks things which we talked about, and there's a variety of Bluebeard's Bride, which we've talked about on this show before, like at, at Gen Con. But you've got, so you guys have several other things here. Is there anything you'd want to highlight out of the other options? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, Urban Shadows, which is our political urban fantasy kind of game. Werewolves and wizards and ghosts and vampires all vying for their own place in a modern city always built in a real city because real cities are always going to be weirder than anything you're ever going to come up with uh, on your own. We have our four ash cans, including The Ward, which is like medical drama, ER, Scrubs. We have Velvet Glove, which is like a 70s girl gang. Uh, it's kind of like Switchblade Sisters or um, Faster Puss Cat Kill Kill. We have Pasión de las Pasiones, in which you are creating and playing the single greatest telenovela that has ever existed we have Crossroads Carnival, which is kind of like the HBO show Carnival, in which you play sort of supernatural entities in 1920s America. Okay. That's, uh, uh, again, from the, the Magpie Games booth here at PAX Unplugged. Thanks for talking to us. Yep, absolutely. My pleasure. All right. So that was uh, Brendan Conway at Magpie Games. On the role-playing front, though, we've got several other things. I did hit up Onyx Path while I was here because... I had spent so much money at Gen Con that I was able to resist buying more of the limited edition World of Darkness books that Onyx Path has put out. Well, my resistance crumbled here, so, you know, I, I spent a significant amount of cash at both the Magpie Games and the Onyx Path booth. I didn't actually play any, any vampire or, or anything like that at PAX Unplugged because I'm currently playing in a weekly-ish 
vampire game, so you know you have to pick your battles here. But I do have to remember, like, if if you ever see me saying something like, "Oh, I don't know if I should back that Onyx Path World of Darkness Kickstarter," I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, reach over and slap me. Remind me that yes, yes, you always want to back the Onyx Path World of Darkness Kickstarters. You're you're a dummy, Chris, if you don't. I. Every time, every time I I see one of those that I was thinking about backing, but then I didn't because I don't know. I mean, because they're not cheap. They're not cheap. They're extremely good books, but they're not cheap. But I always regret it later. Man, like oh, if I had, I really desperately wish I had backed Mage Twenty. And you know, you can still go out there and get it, but you know, it's your your best place to get those is right there on on the Kickstarter. That is the most efficient place to get those fancy, awesome looking deluxe editions. Another role-playing game I sort of played at PAX Unplugged was To Serve Her Wintry Hunger. This is from Stephen Dewey, and if you want to get it, you can find it at cavalrygames.com. You can order, I don't know, a ash can PDF. It's a really small thing, one of these, you know, 15 bucks for the, the small paperback. And this is a four-player game, or, you know, four players and a, and a game master. And it is the story of four forest spirits, well, not forest, but four spirits who are hunting down a human to serve her wintry hunger with her being a, a Yuki no Ona, a, a spirit of cold and ice. And this is really a, a storytelling experience in that you've got a, a very light mechanical base underneath it, but then you go through and depending on how well you're doing in this light mechanical basis you then describe how this hunt pursues and unless things go really really badly the hunt is going to end with the human dead right it's not this is this is a dark fairy tale this is not a happy one the reason i say that i sort of got to play this at pax unplugged is because we did it convention style where the room was divided into the four spirits that are represented in the game. And that's, I think, fire and fear and cold and hunger are the spirits. And, you know, there was one representative from the group who was up at the front who was rolling the dice, but then there would be a voice vote for what option the group chose. Because it's a group, everything had to be put in terms of a binary option. But that was a, a very distinctive game. It's I want to say, it's not the sort of thing you'd want to play over and over again, but that's kind of the point, right? It is it is a one-shot. That's The entire existence of the game is a one-shot. But it was a really distinctive experience to to try out. Uh, and like I said, that's, that's to serve her wintry hunger. And you can check that out at, at the Cavalry Games website. I also took a look at a fantasy role-playing game that had a booth in the Expo Hall called Emberwind. Now, Emberwind, okay, it, it pitched itself as better than D&D, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to sign up for that. But one, the the art was just gorgeous, and then two, it had a really interesting combination of like role-playing game and choose your own adventure. From what I could tell, the game was built into a campaign book. Like you would have particular characters, uh, and this is a fantasy setting, but it's a it's a different distinctive sort of fantasy setting. It's not just your generic D&D kind of character classes. And so you would go through and you you would have fights, but it's not a campaign or an adventure where there is a set sequence of things that there is there for you to do. Like your objective is you're going to go defeat that one thing, 
where you're going to explore this dungeon and then defeat it. And then, you know, no matter what you do, this basically the same things are going to be in the same sorts of rooms. I mean, maybe they shift around in the dungeon a little bit because you made noise or whatever. But this, you know, you go through and between the fights, you have more choose-your-own-adventure kind of decisions. And depending on the decisions that you make, those are going to change what scenarios you do later. I got to play it for a very brief little bit. It was an interesting sort of thing. It is it is a crunchier system. This is not one of these really rules lights sorts of system, right? This is a a system with to hit rolls and positioning and resistance and absorbing damage and that. But I mean, if if I swear, if nothing else, like searching on Emberwind is going to get you some really fantastic art to pick out, and you can find that on www.emberwindgame.com. More role-playing games. I also spoke with Crafty Games at PAX Unplugged. i here at PAX Unplugged with Pat Capera at Crafty Games. Now, you may remember last year we talked to Crafty Games about Mistborn House War, and you've got a new role-playing supplement for that, Alloy of Law, Masks of the Past. But this weekend, you guys were also demoing a few board games that you've got coming out next year, right? Yeah, we, uh, we have three that we were demoing here. Two of them are by Flatout Studios. They're a great new partner that we just uh, uh, started working with a a short while ago. They're making a game called Abstract Academy. It's a two-player game where you're starving artists and can't afford uh, your own canvas. You have to share the same canvas to paint abstract paintings. And so it's an expanding board, and it can only expand so far. So part of it is determining how far out you go before you, you can no longer paint. And suddenly, you may your opponent may actually limit how far you can go out, and then your your control area is different than you thought it was. You're trying to please teacher assistants and professors at the same time. It's it's a fun game. Uh, the other thing that Flatout is making uh, or made for us is a game called Dollars to Donuts, uh, where you are um, working in a donut shop, and there, these donut pieces are coming off of an assembly line. Uh, it's a tile laying game, and you're attempting to complete donuts. Uh, and complete a board in a, in, and satisfy customers in the most efficient way possible. Um, it's got sort of a patchwork vibe in that it's very much about spatial reasoning, but people have been telling us that they, they, they like it for very different reasons than they like patchwork. Um, so that, that's gratifying because it's sort of living in its own space. That's good. So I, let me just ask you, my wife really likes patchwork. How does that play two players? How does Patchwork no, play? No, no. The, the dollars to donuts. Uh, OR game plays uh, uh, perfectly in two players. So no matter how many player count uh, players are playing it, the end trigger and the way, uh, the way you score are exactly the same. Nothing changes. Um, so it's really just how many pieces are moving out of the assembly line before you get to it is really the only change. So Okay, and then you had a third one? Yeah, we had another one called Tabriz. Uh, which is by Randy Flynn. Uh, fantastic. Actually, it's two games because he's built a board game and a card game. They're both the same. The, one, the card game is sort of derived from the idea of the board game, but they play very differently and have the same theme. Um, it's sort of like Cardcassone and Carcassone. <laughs> um, so, uh, Tabriz, uh, in both games, you're essentially the apprentices of Persian weavers, and you're going out trying to get the best... Uh, components and especially in the tile board game, your 
uh, it's about worker movement. You're attempting to get away from home base. It, it takes multiple moves to get to the best components. Uh, and the best, everything on the board is, is limited and only coming out in, uh, in very small dribs and traps. So it's about how far are you willing to push to get the best things and how fast do you want to try and satisfy the contracts that you've got, et cetera. Okay, that's cool. And so we can look to see all those in 2019 along with uh, an expansion for Mistborn House War? Yes, Mistborn House War's expansion Siege of Luthadel will be coming next year too. Uh, it uh, moves Mistborn House War into the second novel, Well of Ascension. So now instead of dealing with the Empire and whether it fall, stands or falls, you're dealing with the sea. Uh, and whether it, uh, Luthadel, the capital city, whether it stands or falls. The, it's under siege, and so you're sta- you're always having to uh, bounce back and forth between whether you're supporting the attackers or not. And there's a, a great component with the Kolos, which are these rampaging engines of destruction that used to belong to the Lord Ruler. Um, and if you uh, take control of them, they're great for a short period, and then they may rampage and cause all sorts of problems for you. So, uh, so that's coming next year too. Okay, uh, we'll look forward to all those. Great talking to you again. Thank you. All right, so we're we're almost finished now with the role-playing game section of it. But I've got one more role-playing game discussion to go with, and that is with Renegade Games. Now, uh, Renegade Games has primarily is a board game company, and that's, you know, if you say to me, like, oh, what are you going to the Renegade Games before? It's, it's probably something like Clank, you know? It's, it's a board game, and they, they have tons of that, but they've had some more role-playing game things recently and and two of the new ones are Overlight and Kids on Bikes. Overlight, you may remember us talking about Overlight briefly in our Gen Con discussion because of the simple fact that like Vampire has some branded cosmetics, so did Overlight have some branded cosmetics because it's an extremely vibrant looking book and light plays an important role in the setting. This is a setting that is a a thousand years in the future and the world has been cracked into pieces and there are these, I think, seven basically giant floating islands. Some of them are below each other and they cover it up. There's, each one's its entire own world with its own races and it's you know got different light that comes down to it and there is some combat in this, but it's primarily a game of, you know, exploration and figuring out what's going on. You can, of course, just play your own total sandbox on it, but there is some campaign sort of, of things that you can go into if you want. Right now, right now, you're looking at the core book and a Game Master screen and then dice. Really, really nice looking dice set, too but there's going to be more coming out for that. That's Overlight. The other one is is Kids on Bikes, and Kids on Bikes is more in the vein of some of the games that I've talked about already. It is not powered by the Apocalypse, but it's a small town, mysterious things are going on. The most obvious comparison is to be like, oh, it's like Stranger Things, the role-playing game. And what it does to simulate that is that everybody it most you know, I think I don't think you have to be a kid but the sort of default is that you're you know a kid or a teenager and you you're not a person with powers 
You're just a person who's trying to figure out what's going on and, you know, not die, presumably. Now, there can be characters with powers in it, but these characters are not controlled by any one player. Rather, they sort of exist. If you've got four players, this is sort of a fifth player character, and at different times, different players will control that character based on what that character is and what their triggers are. You know, like, oh, they like shiny things and so you have the card that says shiny things and if that's applicable then you can be the one who controls that character and so since i'm using the stranger things comparison right this would be like oh it's 11 right you've got the one character who actually really does have powers and instead of having to deal with the whole like does everybody get powers or do some people feel less effective because they don't have the powers that's how kids on bikes handles it some other new things that have just hit from or are going to be hitting in the near future from renegade games there is arboretum this is a second edition of the game and arboretum is a two-player game of growing connections among trees and it's it's a really nice looking production just for the basic one small box you know it's that time of year for stocking stuffers right but also Renegade has a limited deluxe edition of it that they've come out. And you're right, this is one of those things where they've done the one printing and there's no plans for another printing at any time in the near future. And this this is not something that you only get from Renegade. Like your your friendly local game store can order this in. But it's it's a, it's a bit more expensive, obviously. But it just has even fancier versions of things. Like it literally has foil cards of everything. Like all the trees are foil cards. So... If you really like your shinies, the deluxe edition of Arboretum is something to check out. They also had, not available yet, but uh, available to play a little bit, was an early version of the Power Rangers game. And this is one of those ones that was already funded on Kickstarter. And I'm in a funny sort of place with Power Rangers because it is apparent to me that there are a lot of people out there who like Power Rangers, but I'm just a little too old so, right, if I was a bit younger, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, Power Rangers, that was, those were great. Instead, I'm like, Voltron was awesome. What is this Power Rangers nonsense? But obviously that there are a lot of people who, who really like Power Rangers, and the quantity of miniatures that are coming in this thing is must be ridiculous because they had sculpts for, you know, the actual Rangers, and these things are like a couple of inches high. But they were still at the demo at, at PAX Unplugged, still using meeples for the putties. You know, the, the puds, right? You know, the, the junk garbage bad guys. But even these guys in the final version are going to have these enormous, relatively speaking, sculpts that are of the same size as the Power Rangers. It's going to be, there must be so much plastic that's going to come in that box. There was also a brand new thing announced at packs unplugged from renegade games and we're going to kick over to an interview for that and then i'll be right back all right i'm here at the renegade games booth at packs unplugged to talk with danny Lowe. now uh you've already heard me talk about a few of the things that renegade uh just had come out but danny is here to talk with us about the just announced uh clank legacy Yes, so we announced this last night. We're doing a new standalone Clank product. It's Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated, which is the Penny Arcade um, property. So it's going to involve all of those characters in a legacy format, and that's coming out in 2019. 
to Jay, if you're listening, this is why you have to come to Penny Arcade so you could watch live shows with Acquisitions, Inc. and, and hear about these announcements. Uh, so uh, is there any information available about how it plays compared to normal Clank? Or? Not yet. We just released a teaser trailer uh, video last night during the Acking panel, which is why you need to come to these shows. Um, but no, we haven't revealed any gameplay Um it's a deck builder. It's Clank. If you love Clank, if you love Clank in space, you'll love this one, especially the legacy aspect. If you don't know Acquisitions Incorporated, um, the legacy aspect is still going to be a ton of fun. Um, okay, well, oh, well, we like uh, we like Clank and we like legacy games, so that sounds like a good combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to stay up to date on all the things we leak and all the gameplay, all the news, you should join the Clank Facebook group we have online. It's pretty active. We are going to reveal artwork and rules as if we have them. Okay. Thanks for talking to us, Danny. Yeah, no problem. So the last game that I wanted to talk about within the Renegade milieu is Spy Club. Uh, now, Spy Club is a game that uh, has come up before in a in Gen Con coverage, actually, back when this was still in the you know sort of really pre-production version, and. It's designed by Foxtrot Games, but Renegade does the the distribution. And this is one that is now out in its final version, and I got a chance to play it at PAX Unplugged. And Spy Club is a puzzle-solving game where the characters are taking on the role of kids in a town who are trying to figure something out. I, I know that sounds like kids on bikes, but completely different sort of figuring out. It's it's more like Encyclopedia Brown. You know, what there was somebody who played a prank with the cake in the diner and who did it? And so you have the group sit around and then you've got the sort of tracker that moves around these five, these these you know four or five cards that everyone has in front of them. And depending on where it lands, it you know accelerates the end of the game for the group. This is a fully cooperative game. Uh, and what you're trying to do then is is take actions on your turn to move these cards around by the colors and get enough to figure out what the, the clue is for the game. And if you're just playing one game, it doesn't matter what any of the clues are. right? All the red clues are going to be the same. All the yellow clues are going to be the same. It, you know, it, it, it tells a little story at the end, and you can kind of get into the that aspect of it and I strongly recommend that if you you do if you're playing with kids because you probably get the most out of this game if you're playing with kids not really young kids this is going to be too complicated for them but like probably younger than eight yeah I don't know that like ideally I'm guessing you want to be at least 10 for them to really get more into it but you know at least eight but you know you, you know your kid better than I do but where it gets to matter more is when you play these sort of linked mini campaigns that they have and that's that's going to be five games because there's five different clues. And what you do when you finish the first game is you pick one of the clues that you decided was particularly significant or interesting or whatever. And then you look at the book and it gives you a number and then you go look in the stack of cards for the number. And you're going to pull something out and that's going to have some additional rules or abilities or who knows what that are based on that particular thing. For example, we we played a game and at the end of the game we just for the heck of it picked mom. Like mom was the suspect who we had tagged as having done the thing in the first one. Well, if you pick mom, that 
in later games, that adds an extra mechanic that you have to worry about where mom knows that you're on to her and you have to maybe try to sneak around without mom realizing that you're sneaking around or else you can get grounded. You know, it's it, it, then that plays out over the next four games in different ways. Uh, and so it could give a lot of distinctive replayability to Spy Club. So I, I think that that is a, it's a really fun theme. It's an abstracted game unless you infuse the story into it. But I think it's probably really fun to play with kids if you can really infuse that theme into it for them. Add a little storytelling jazz of your own. But that's that's Spy Club from Renegade Games. Now, I, I just mentioned Power Rangers, which, you know, is a Kickstarter game that is not out just yet. Uh, but one of the things that comes up with Kickstarter and some of the other things these days is sometimes it feels like a game is hanging around forever before you really get the final copy in your hand. And so there were several n- notable games, I thought, that, that, that were finally making a, a real physical final presence that I, I think are worth checking out. One is Ruby Combat Ready from Arcane Wonders. We talked about this in the Gen Con episode, and so I'm not going to go into the whole rigmarole again here, but this was still uh, in a, a you know a pre-production version when we played it at Gen Con. It wasn't available for sale yet. So Ruby Combat Ready from Arcane Wonders is definitely available for sale now. And if you're a fan of the show, I think that's worth checking out and you can go back to the Gen Con episode and get more details on that. Strange Machine Games had Attack on the SDF-1 and Ace Pilot. These are two Robotech games. Uh, If you remember, Attack on the SDF-1 has this great visual appeal and board presence because you actually get to construct the robot version of the SDF-1 to be standing in the middle of the table. So I'll tell you what, it looks really great on the table, across the convention hall. It gets to rotate around. It gets attacked on different sides. Sort of a, you know, panic kind of, of feel to it. But I, I've i been looking to, for this thing to come out in its final version, I think, since last PAX Unplugged when I first saw the, uh, you know, a pre-production version that's been, been going on. But And Ace Pilot is another Robotech-branded ones. And those are both from Strange Machine Games. Another one was Comb Award from Everything Epic. This was one that was a Kickstarter and is now out in in final version. And this is a two-phase game. And I guess it's like some other two-phase games in, in like in Betrayal, a House on the Hill, where you start the game off and you don't know what's going on. And then at some point in the game, there's going to be a trigger where you figure out what is going on. In this game, the conceit is that the players who wake up have all woken up at the coma ward, right? They've all woken up. They're all in their hospital gowns. Nobody has any idea what's going on. Nobody remembers who they are. Nobody remembers why they're here. And there is an initial exploration phase while everybody is going through the hospital trying to figure out what is going on. And over the course of the game, you can become more or less mentally or physically traumatized Every time you are going into a new room, right, you're going to, or maybe just at the end of every turn, you have to make a focus check to see if you can, you know, stay focused or if you start hallucinating. And then that can have, you know, that's sort of a, a pull, pull a card off the top of a deck thing. And then the trigger for 
flipping over to the next stage of the game is going to be exploring these rooms. Eventually, you'll find three clues. Depending on the order you find the clues in, that will dictate which scenario you're playing. Although, presumably, if you know, you've know you already played the scenario that the clues would say, I, I maybe you'd just be like, eh, we're just going to pick this one that we haven't done yet, you know, right? And that can be all sorts of things. The hospital might start catching on fire. It might be that one of you is trying to kill another one of you, or everyone's trying to kill one of you, and the question is which one of those comes out. But it can be all sorts of scenarios. The base game, I think, comes with a dozen of them. Because it's a Kickstarter, there's then another couple of packs that you can add on to that, although obviously it gets a little rich uh, at that point. But it's got a nice flavor, Mysterio vibe to it. If that sort of thing interests you, and that's Coma Ward from Everything Epic. Uh, another company uh, in the category of Kickstarter things that are are hanging out is Lynn Vander Studios. Uh, and Lynn Vander Studios, this is the design studio. And so depending on which game is being discussed here, there's going to be maybe different publishers. They do it. They've often worked through Jasco, but they're that's not the only ones that they've worked through. So... I'm going to apologize. I'm, you're, you're now going to get tossed to me interviewing Thomas Gofton uh, at Lynn Vander about a lot of games that uh, I find quite interesting, but that either aren't out yet, or the game is out, but the expansion isn't out yet, or, okay, the game is technically sort of out in that they had some copies of it to sell at PAX Unplugged, but that doesn't mean you can go buy it in your store right now. But it's all cool stuff. So... Here is uh, Thomas Gofton from Linvander Studios. Right, I'm here with uh, on the Expo Hall floor at PAX Unplugged with Thomas Gofton of Linvander Studios. And uh, you may recall that we talked about one of their games, uh, Cowboy Bebop uh, Board Game Boogie, at, uh, in our post-Gen Con episode. And so let's start with that because you at least used to have some of those available for sale for the first time here, right? Yeah, uh, so Cowboy Bebop is it's not available to retail yet. Um, I managed to pull some strings and get some, you know, special thanks goes out to Chasco Games for pulling some strings for me uh, to get 48 copies lifted off the line and uh, airshipped to uh, pack some plugs. Nobody knew it was going to be here. We did that purposely. Uh, we just kind of kept it quiet. And uh, I'll tell you... I. I would be willing to bet this was one of the more hopping, hopping booths uh, for the first day and a half of PAX. There was crowds of people grabbing it. Like I think like six or seven copies were being held in the crowd at a time. Uh, we sold out before 1 p.m. and that was it. Cowboy Bob's gone. But uh, but I've got one copy here that I'm taking for uh, review and unboxing. Uh, so it's here to see and here to show. It's here to stay, and it's good. <laughs> it's good. Three, two, one, boogie. It's good. <laughs> Okay, uh, and then another game that you have that people can't quite buy quite just yet is an expansion for the the Buffy board game. And I think I remember is it Gen Con 2017 first seeing the the Buffy board game. Yeah, so th- that 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 was a bit a bit of a letdown because we we were supposed to get some of these off the line as well. We only got one. They only sent one copy. I was like, oh no. So we got it for unboxing. We got it for these these press uh, interviews and stuff like that. So people have been able to look at it and see it. It's beautiful. It, it's it's seamless integration with the board game. Um, it's basically on a boat. We'll have it in the next month or so. It'll be. Uh, I feel like January 2019 is going to be a bit of a cathartic push for games with uh, you know Buffy and, and, and Bebop both hitting the market and uh, and other publisher games we work with too hitting the market. But yes, 
Uh, so Buffy will the expansion runs and frenemies will be out uh, in about a month or so, and then uh, Angel it will be out in uh, quarter one of next year, probably March. Okay, now right, if I'm correct, Friends and Frenemies is an expansion to Buffy the board game. Angel is a standalone board game. And how does Angel play compared to to Buffy? I guess if a few people haven't played Buffy, it's a right, it's a full co-op where you're going around Sunnydale trying to stop monsters of the weeks and and big bads. Yeah, so so in Buffy, uh, Buffy's kind of like Arkham Horror Light meets Pandemic, uh, and so it's got a very cooperative, fun feel to it. Uh, Friends and Frenemies adds to that complexity. Angel is, in fact, a standalone game, but all the components and uh, character sheets and abilities and stuff like that are unique to the Angel experience. However, it, there's a seamless integration between Angel and Buffy that you can swap characters and all their abilities will function. They function completely different in Buffy than they do in Angel, but they're the same ability. That's just how kind of cool and weird this is. <laughs> I can't really tell you what Angel's like yet because uh, I don't know what we're allowed to talk about. I will just say that it is a completely different game to Buffy, but it plays... Um, when you put L.A. and Sunnydale maps side by side, they become a mega game. So you can actually seamlessly integrate them, even though there's... The, so it's kind of like maybe a standalone expansion, but it's, it is its own board game. You don't even have to have Buffy to, to play this. But it's just surprising that you can put them together, link them together, and make a really cool, big 12-player game out of it. <laughs> Well, that that's cool, and that's right. Uh, you're, we're hoping for early next year on that, pending, you know, approvals. Yeah, it's it's developed right now. Uh, we are just in the process of getting approvals. Uh, the approval process takes a while, and then we're going to go through our own proofing with Jasco, and then we're going to get this to market as fast as possible. We'd like to have some major announcements at Gamma to let everyone know what we're doing, and then uh, and then I think you'll see it hit the market. You'll definitely see it at Origins in June, uh, but I think you'll see it hit the market even before that. Okay, well, I've, I keep asking you about games that people can't actually go to their friendly local game store and buy. So what has uh, come out recently for you guys that somebody can go get their, their uh, greedy little hands on right now? Uh, you can get Reanimator from Dynamite. You can get Buffy, the original Buffy. It's still out in stores, selling really well. You can actually uh, go get Terminator Genesis, I believe. You can order that. It's, it's shipping out to stores now. So that's pretty much by the time you get this, hear this, you should be able to get Terminator Genesis. That's, you should be able to get Buffy soon. But, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it for other than my legacy games, which is uh, Albion's Legacy, Sherwood's Legacy, and uh, Neverland's Legacy. But all those games are pretty much almost out of print, and we're not printing a new, a new round of them. So there's only about 100 copies left. Uh, before we're completely sold out of those, and uh, and that's that's it for that print run. So, yeah, check it out. Okay, uh, so I guess one last thing. Let's shift back to the you can't get it yet. Uh, so, uh, Shadow Run Sprawl Ops was that's in the post Kickstarter. You're going through production phase. Uh, what? Uh, how has that process been going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, we've been we got a lot more on our plate than we anticipated from the Kickstarter because we decided to do a tier with custom art, and that really slowed down the process. We're a couple months behind, but uh, we're not too far behind. And at the stage we're currently at, the progress is excellent. So Sprawl Ops is just going through its final stages of approvals with uh, Catalyst and the manufacturer. Once they give the thumbs up on the samples that we have here, which you can see right here, uh, once we give the thumbs up on the quality sample. Um, then uh, the mass production begins, and we'll have it in our hands by January. Okay, uh, that's great to hear. Uh, nice talking to you, Thomas. Thank you very much. In addition to what we just talked about there, uh, Lynn Vander also has a an Army of Darkness game Kickstarter coming up in January.
thus ending the topical part of my show. Uh, I'm going to now kick over to the, oh, hey, let's do alphabetical order because that's so creative, Chris, part of the show. And that means that while AEG is usually the very last thing almost that you get on one of these episodes, because that just tends to be when I talk to Todd, you're going to get it earlier here. So here is an interview with Alderac Entertainment Group. All right, so uh, I'm here at Max Unplugged at the AEG booth. And so as everyone who's been with Stra- uh, listening to Strange Assembly for a while knows, that means I must be here talking with Todd Rowland. How are you doing, Todd? I am doing great, but I'm not Todd. You're not, not Todd. This is very confusing to me. I know, it's very confusing. Everybody's <laughs> been looking for Todd today. Everybody's looking for Todd. But he decided to jump on a flight earlier. Okay. Uh, I'm, in fact, here with Kyle Nunn uh, of Alderac Entertainment Group, and we're sitting at a table where they're running demos of Scorpius Freighter, and this just came out at Essen, right? This came out at Essen. It's U.S. retail release. It's actually this Friday. So looking really looking forward to it. Okay, uh, and so what, what should people know about Scorpius Freighter other than it has triple rondelles? Uh, other than the fact that it's triple rondelles, you get to play as a space freighter captain who's sticking it to the evil space government. It's got a multi-level... You're playing a, a, Effectively, you're playing a lot of games in one. You have a freighter board that you're building and trying to make the best freighter possible. You're trying to do a cup and delivery system where you're getting goods and delivering them to your underworld contacts on a different planet. Uh, you get to upgrade your freighter. You get to get through resources, build up, use your freighter, and then deliver everything at the end. Uh, so you have limited trips around the board each planet before the game end trigger happens and the government seizes too much cargo from you and starts to shut everybody down. So you can only move around the rondelles so many times before it all comes to an end. And uh, at the end, whoever has the most victory points, go figure, wins the game. <laughs> I-, I hear most victory points is a common method of determining who wins. <laughs> funny enough. Funny enough, that's how that works. So <laughs> All right, now, uh, now Scorpius Freighter just came out, but you also have another game that I got to play a couple days ago that is not out yet, and that is Tiny Towns. Tiny Towns comes out in the uh, end of April. It is absolutely fantastic game. Uh, it's a, at its heart, it's a resource game. You have a 4x4 four four grid, and somebody at the table, the master builder to be exact, is going to say, I want this resource. And everybody has to take that resource and put it onto their grid. doesn't go into the same spot. Then the master builder becomes the next player who picks a resource, and they pick everybody at the table gets that resource. And you're trying to build these into certain patterns of materials that represent the buildings. And once you do this, you can collect all of those resources and put a building down on one of the spots that you pulled the resources up from. Yeah, yeah. When I played it, there's a. You start out right. You've got your board open before you, and then you build more buildings, and then you build more buildings, and then you're trying to figure out where can I squeeze this in. Yes, and that's a. A lot of it is based on the configuration. It's like, well, this has to go around the outside, so I need to start building these first. And then there's some ones that line up in the middle real well, but it, you have to leave one cube open to where you can put that last little bit into the middle, so you can build it there, or you'll block yourself away from it and never be able to get it onto your board. And the more players, obviously, the more difficult it is to get the resources you need. So in two-player, it scales interestingly because in two-player, you're going back and forth. And it's like, well, I'm going to build this. No, I'm going to build this. I'm going to build this. And you're placing it all over the board. And if you're building a bigger building, then you're trying to just make sure you don't block yourself from building what you're working on. 
whereas in a three and four player game it's a lot more of like are they gonna call out this piece i hope so i hope that's what they're building so so it's a lot of just waiting your turn and planning out the best way to build things yeah well i think the biggest problem though is that you you have a a leaderboard up here to win a home depot gift card and i am no longer on the leaderboard it's not fair it's not fair people outscoring me it is uh so 40 points has been an amazing uh, is an amazing accomplishment in this game i think the most i've scored so far on it's 36 our leaderboard is 44 so uh some people have done really well in this game yeah i think i was 34 pretty far down that's not bad that's not bad at all i think the first game is like 20s is normally what we score so good job Okay, uh, and then I know you have now. This premiered at it was ba- out back at, at Gen Con, but I think it's still been going strong for you guys. And you also got War Chest here. Yes, War Chest. Uh, if you haven't played it, it's a uh, asymmetrical abstract strategy game. Think chess improved, but don't tell that to anybody. Uh, <laughs> so the biggest thing about War Chest is it has a beautiful visual presence, but got one of the chips in it. So it has a wonderful tactile presence to it. Every, all of the units are on chips, like really high-quality poker chips. And I'm holding up my hands like I'm showing you a chip right now, and nobody's ever going to see it. So, <laughs> But the, everything is driven off of which chips you pull out of the bag. So at the beginning of the game, you take two chips of each unit that you have. Of You only have four units on each side, and they're not the same. Everybody plays different units. So you can randomize, you can draft, you can pick up other units however you want to. But you take two of each unit, put it into a bag, along with a coin, royal coin, shake it up, and then draw three. And then you take turns playing on a hand of three. So you play one, opponent plays one. You play one, opponent plays one. And you have face-up, face-down actions. It's very simple to teach, and then the units just break the rules to all the rules that you've already learned. Yeah, and I just as I'm I'm staring at at them here, I had forgotten because there's all this there's always this disjoint now between the Kickstarter one coming out and the retail. So the the retail version of Thunderstone Quest is now out, right? Yes, Thunderstone Quest is out. Uh, it was uh, early November release, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's uh, it's out. It's ready to go. If you like dungeon delvers and deck builders, you're gonna love Thunderstone Quest. It gives you the best of both worlds. Uh, I have honestly never played the older Thunderstones, but I am told that they are an improvement. And, <laughs> and it includes minis, so how can you complain with that? It does include uh, five-player minis, right? Five? It's either five or six. You're right, it's six. It's okay. six. Okay. Yes, it includes six minis. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's got a beautiful table presence. You've got to go between your village and the the village to improve your deck, and then the uh, the dungeon to kill the monsters and improve yourself there too. Yes, and uh, I, I highly recommend Thunderstone Quest, even though I think if you get the retail version, it doesn't have my vanity card in it. You should have backed the Kickstarter and gotten everything at once. <laughs> yes. So uh, the next two quests that were included in the Kickstarter Champion Edition uh, are coming out next year. Looks like Q1, Q2, but uh, it's uh, you, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out <laughs> on some things. Should have backed the Kickstarter. Well, and you guys have even had the second Kickstarter now for more expansion content for Thunderstone Quest, right? Yes. 
Uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure what all is in that Kickstarter because I don't <laughs> actually manage that side of it. Uh, but I know, I believe Barricade Mode's in there, which is uh, the solo and co-op version. So, uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you can... There's, if you go to straightassembly.com, you can dig up our Thunderstone Quest review. We already did that. I think we probably did it now on Kickstarter Post or KickPix or whatever I was calling it at the time about the second Thunderstone Quest. But uh, it's been great talking to you, Kyle. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I remember at the time that whole like pretending like I was interviewing Todd and didn't understand seemed funny. I- I'm not sure sure how well it went off. So if that was incredibly lame, I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you by throwing this to an interview with Matt Ryan from Bezier Games. Still here at PAX Unplugged with Matt Ryan of Bezier Games, uh, and we're here to talk about uh, Ultimate Werewolf Legacy and some of your guys' other new stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing we'll talk about is Ultimate Werewolf Legacy. So this takes the Ultimate Werewolf game, and it puts it into a brand new format. So it takes the same mechanics and the same idea of the game, but instead of playing game after game, uh, you're going to play a total of 16 games to get through the entire campaign, And as you're playing, things are going to change over time based on the people who are getting killed, the decisions the village is making. There'll be an election for a mayor of the village. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff, and it's going to be changing over the time that the village goes. And so every game is a different amount of years in the village. Um, The moderator has a really awesome diary. It's probably one of the better components that I have ever seen in the gaming industry. It's a a really nice, soft diary. It's gold-gilded. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, But they'll use that to guide the village through what's happening and what's changing. One of the other cool things about this legacy game is you can actually change players in and out in between every three games, which I know is one of the things that always hangs me up on legacy games is that uh, sometimes there's that one person who can't make it this week and then someone else can't make it next week and it ends up dragging on and on. This one, if someone can't make it, they can just sit out one week and you can have somebody else in. Um, If you have friends from out of town in, you can have them jump in and play. Uh, So it's really, really cool because... Uh, you can facilitate so many people, and you can also rotate them in and out. Uh, yeah, I think this, this uh, plays, what, up to 16, yeah, right? You, you, you probably really need to rotate. Yeah, exactly. So it plays uh, 9 to 16, so it's kind of a big play range. There's one moderator and eight players, or one moderator and 15 players. Uh, but it's really fun. I've moderated a couple campaigns, and uh, people get a real kick out of it. There's some really interesting games in there, and there's some really interesting role cards in there that you may not have seen before, so... Okay, and, and we are at a convention, and Werewolf is one of the most popular games, I think, at all sorts of gaming conventions, so I, it's probably appropriate that you are, uh, your, other, your next new game here has something else to do with Werewolf, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, our next game is we've kind of taken 20 questions, and we've werewolfed it. So uh, it's called Werewords, uh, and this, we've released the Werewords Deluxe this year. Last year we released Werewords. It played 4 to 10. It was awesome. It only had a couple rolls in the box, and people really, really enjoyed it. So what we did is this year we've made a Deluxe Edition, and this one's going to play 2 to 20 players, which is a huge play range. It's really awesome. If you keep it in your car, you can play just about any time with just about any group of people. Um, it's really awesome because we've also added some new rolls into the game, so it balances really well all the way up to that 20-player count. Um, it's a really fun one. If you haven't played it before, it's, uh, it's like 20 questions with a social deception twist. Um, it comes with a free app download. It's very similar to our one-night series. It only takes two or three minutes to teach people and about four or five minutes to play a game. So it's a really, really good one. It's probably one of the, uh, the most popular party games I've seen out this year. Okay. And now uh, people uh, at home will uh, may not... You'll have heard this on the podcast already, but Jay Earl, who is uh, usually with me at conventions, was not able to come this year but one of his favorite games from the last few years is is whistle stop 
And I, I think you have an expansion for that. Now, this was out, I think he got it at Gen Con, right? But that's still one of your newer ones? Yeah, so the expansion for Whistle Stop came out at Gen Con. So last year, um, essentially from Gen Con last year all the way until PAX, we sold out a Whistle Stop at every single convention. And we brought tons. So it was really amazing to see the feedback and the enjoyment people get. And uh, of course, we all know there's people who love train games and there's people who love pick up and deliver games. This one's really, really good for just about anybody. Even if you're not a big train game fan, this is one you can really, really get into. It's very thematic. It's very beautiful on the table. But what we've done this year, because it was so popular last year, is we released an expansion, and it's called the Rocky Mountain Expansion. So what it does is it actually puts a 3D mountain range that clips into the center of your board. And you're going to then be building your trains up and over these mountain ranges. It's going to cost you extra resources because your train has to work harder to get through the mountains. But there's gold in the hills. There's resources in the hills. There's upgrade tiles in the hills. So as your train is working harder to get through there, you're going to pick up different things. And it's going to be super awesome because it gives you a little, uh, it gives you more incentive to kind of pick your route a little more carefully. Um, also, the other, my other favorite thing is in the first game, you can get gold. And gold's nice, it's okay. But in this one, we've increased the amount of ways to get gold in the game. And so what that does is it gives it gold a higher, a higher value and also more frequently on the board. So you can actually take a sh new strategy and say, I'm gonna collect as much gold as I can and be able to beat players with that strategy. So it adds a pretty much another win condition to the game, a new, a new strategy you can add. It also adds a new stock option. So that's 15 more points that's now on the table for anybody to claim if they, uh, if they choose. Okay, uh, that was uh, Bessie Games here at PAX Unplugged. Thanks for talking to us, no man. No problem. Thanks, guys. That was Matt Ryan at Bezier Games. Next up, we have Brain Games. And there were two newer things that I wanted to mention of theirs. One of them is Ice Cool 2. Now, I, the original Ice Cool has been out for a bit. And there's not a ton different with Ice Cool 2. And very briefly, Ice Cool is a dexterity game where you open the box up and then you open the box up again and you open the box up again and you open the box up again. And then by the time you're done, you have created this school slash ice rink where people are flicking penguins around, either trying to get them through doors or trying to hit other penguins. Uh, you know, you play one round of that per player and then you add up your score, right? And then you're done. Ice Cool 2 is at its core the same thing as Ice Cool. But there's two differences. One is that the board is a mirror image of the board in Ice Cool. This means that if you want, you can take a copy of Ice Cool and a copy of Ice Cool 2 and combine them for one gigantic playing area. Uh, the other thing is that the one fish cards in Ice Cool 2 have challenges on them. And these challenges will be something like going through two doors in one, in one flick or you know, doing a flick jump where you jump into another room. And they just give you another thing to do with your one fish cards instead of ice skate. And so at the start of your turn, you can call one of these shots. And if you make the shot, then you flip the card over and you get a bonus for that. And you're using that instead of the ice skates. But it's, it's basically if you like ice cool but don't have it, hey... You can pick up Ice School 2. It's got a little bit more going on on that front. Uh, if you already have Ice School and you really like it, you can pick up Ice School 2 and then combine for one super game. The other uh, recent brain game release is Orc Olympics, or at least one of the other recent brain game releases is Orc Olympics. And this is a small card game, 
and it plays out in two phases and the first phase is cars is card drafting and the second phase is bidding you could possibly compare it to for sale in that way where you've got one phase where you are acquiring your cards and then another phase where you are using your cards obviously there there's different the way you're acquiring it the theme that's put on this which is not really pertinent is a fantasy olympics right or the orc olympics uh, and so the cards that you're drafting are either going are going to have some combination of cunning and speed and strength and when you draft them it's this normal sort of drafting you start with eight cards you pick one you pass to the left pick one pass to the left go until you're done uh, however at the end of the draft you have to choose three of the different cards and those are the ones you get to keep there are seven different cards in the deck of uh, representing seven different fantasy species and some of them are kind of generically bad all around but there's more of them some of them are really good at one thing but there's relatively few of them and so you have to figure out when you're drafting which ones you want to go for because if you have a hand with one copy each of the three different really good ones if you only keep three cards that's going to give you a hard time competing uh, because when you go to the competition you're going to compete over seven rounds and this is a this is bidding uh, and you'll know when you're drafting what the competitions are and they're either going to be just a competition of strength or just cunning or just speed and you're just playing the cards out of your hand to bid now you have to shepherd them carefully because they mostly don't come back well i guess how much they how much it feels like they come back depends on how many players there are if the there's going to be a first place prize and a second place prize for each event and those players don't get any cards back. Everybody else gets one card back. So if there's lots of players, it, it plays up to five, then, okay, three people are going to be getting back every round. But that's also three people who possibly just expended without getting anything out of it. So you really have to pick your battles. If you're trying to throw in in every single fight, you're going to end up running out, or not fight, but every single competition, you're going to end up running out by the time you get to the back end. So it, it's a really fast filler game. It maybe takes 15 minutes. You can play it with the family. It's, it's you know, a relatively inexpensive small box game, so it's got that stocking stuffer appeal for this time of year. And that is uh, worth checking out if that sort of you know straightforward card game is up your alley. And that is Orc Olympics by Brain Games. Another little small game that I saw that stood out was from Breaking Games, and that's called It Dies With Me. Uh, it Dies With Me is a sort of bluffing, guessing, deduction sort of game. But what makes it really stand out is that it advertises that it comes with edible paper. What on earth would you need edible paper in a game for? And edible ink. Well, you start the game off by having one player write down a secret. Something secret about them... They write it down on this piece of paper, and at the end of the game, whoever wins gets to open that piece of paper, read the secret, and then they eat the paper. Then that secret dies with them. So when you're playing the game, each round you're picking. You're not rolling a die, you're picking a value on a six-sided die. And if you are the high number, you are going to get to draw a card. And if you're the lowest number, you're going to get to move down a six-space track, like you're going six feet under. And if you get all of the words, it dies with me out of the deck, 
and you could get it in four, but you might not. You probably wouldn't because there might be duplicates. Or if you get all the way down six feet under, then you're going to get that secret. But you can't just always pick high or low because if you pick something that somebody else does, then nobody gets anything. And so you have to kind of figure out where you think people are trying to get and what you think people want to get. If it's, if it's far in the game and one of the other players hasn't started moving down a, a particular track, they're probably never going to, you know, that kind of things. But that is, it dies with me from breaking games. Guerrilla Games was on hand with their game Battle Stations and a prototype of Battle Stations Dropship, which is not yet released. But Battle Stations has been out for a bit. And this is a multi-scenario sort of game where you are going to have your ship represented on a space board, and you are also going to have your ship represented with laid out tiles. Uh, and so there's a, a variety of scenarios that can be played. But the, the demo scenario, for example, was that someone was boarding your ship. And then so you had to fight off the boarders while also then getting your ship the heck out of there. You know, you're, you're going to have some games where you are more focused on something that's outside and then maybe you get attacked. And you're going to have more games that are focused on something that's inside and then maybe there's less outside. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary up as you go from game to game. And then the, the upcoming dropship is based on battle stations, but now it drops you down on the surface instead of being up in space. And now I'm going to throw you to an interview with Yellow. I'm here at the Yellow booth with Anna Williams and... Uh, you may remember us talking a little bit about 8-Bit Box, which was just being seen really for the first time at Gen Con. It, it, I, was, I guess I would say that it is here at PAX Unblog, but it's more like it was here at PAX Unblog because I think you sold out of them, right? Yes, we sold out this morning, but we do have a demo copy to show you guys a little bit or talk about um, a little bit um, about what 8-Bit Box is and what components we have in here for you to uh, enjoy this game. Or oh. these games. <laughs> right, yeah, because I it, is it am I correct that it comes with four different games and then you know six controllers? It comes with three games, but we have some extra slots in here for our future games. Okay, okay. I mean that's I mean I can barely get an actual video game system with more than a game and a controller. So I think you've already got them beat there. Yes, that's uh, so for the eight bit box, um, we have different components in here in the packaging. And uh, you can check out the controllers. We got some dice and some cubes in here, which make it um, a really, I want to say realistic looking packaging. Yeah, and now these are all, in each of the three games in here, I, you, you probably aren't allowed to say what they look like, but there's something that looks like a square Pac-Man, and then there's a racing game, and right, so these are... Oh, more like back the 8-bit video game system sort of games? Yes, yeah, so we were um, we wanted to make it 80s inspired and capture the 80s nostalgia within the game. So all our games are 80s inspired. There's a Pixoid um, Stadium, which is Olymp Olympics um, style, and Outspeed, which is a racing game. And when you look at the, um, the artwork and everything, it very much looks like an 80s game. We are, or the racing game is furiously fast. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how fast you play. <laughs> okay, and this is, and like you mentioned, this is uh, expandable. There is, when, when you inevitably release the, uh, 
uh, the, the extra games to go in there, right? That you'll get the, all the slimline package that works with the existing controllers and cubes and components you already have? Yes, yeah, so all the components uh, that you have in here, you can play with all of our games. We're going to have more than one game coming out, and uh, you have enough space for up to two more games in here. But you're definitely able to build your 8-bit box however you want. Um, you get that individuality within the package to make it your own and choose whatever you want to play. Okay. Uh, so that was 8-bit box, but I know another game you're featuring here is Raids. Yes, Raids is our Viking-inspired um, game here, board game. It is a game where you, as a Viking, are going to sail across the North Sea and you're gonna gather resources you're gonna gather weapons artifacts and our little wooden meeple vikings that we have here oh we also have some gold that you're gonna get <laughs> so how you play is that you go around the board with uh three up to four other people and um you gather all of these um little resources in order to build the best longship and be able to um, fight your monsters. So if you pass by a monster and you don't have enough meeples, you're gonna have to throw some meeples overboard because you're not gonna be able to fight this monster. So it's a pretty fun game. Um, the pieces are uh, what I like about it because the meeples are wooden. They have a lot of uh, detail to them and the gold pieces are actually really heavy coins. So. It makes it nice to play. Okay, uh, and is, is Raid something that people can get at retail now? Yes, you can get it at retail at any of your friendly uh, game stores. Um, go find and uh, go find it and go play it. Vikings are one of the, the, the themes of, of recent years, so I know there's a lot of uh, interest in that. Uh, but uh, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. It was nice talking to you, too. Another one I saw, and... In another world, I might have completely passed over this game without paying any attention whatsoever, but that is 13 Dead End Drive. This is a Milton Bradley game, right? So this is a mass market game. Usually we're not talking a lot about mass market games on here, but we have a copy at my house of 1313 Dead End Drive, which I believe is the same game. And now it's 13 Dead End Drive. And this, uh, despite being a mass market game, has won was one that we played quite a lot with our kids when they were a little bit younger. It's either eight and five now, but the theme of the game is that you are a bunch of house guests at the, you know, the reading of a will basically. And you're trying to have your characters get out with the most money because exactly who inherits what depends on where they are in this succession planning and who might have died and, Everybody can control everybody, so you are trying to keep secret the characters that you are controlling while also getting them out, while trying to kill characters that you don't control, and like I said, we have a copy of this, we played it a bunch, we played it enough that my eight-year-old, uh, at some point, several years ago, had actually replaced all of the standees in the game with his like two-and-a-half-inch like Imaginext and play school sized figurines. So, you know, it was it was now Aquaman and Wolverine and a stormtrooper. And then there had to be a little conversion chart that he made. He made a conversion chart because you've normally got a chart of the order of inheritance for all of these characters. So he had to make a separate 
equivalent of that of what the order of inheritance was for all the superheroes and star wars characters but uh, that is is really quite fun fun for a a mass market kid aimed kid aimed game this is not one of those games where it's just brainless roll and move so if you have younger kids 13 dead end drive is something that's uh, worth looking into Another interesting thing that I saw at the Mondo Games booth, and and let's be clear, I have not seen this game, so I'm relying entirely on a description, but I saw the sign for the game, which they they didn't actually get the game, but I I had to look at it because it was a Fight Club game. And Fight Club is a really fantastic movie to me. And so, you know, it's got things like I Am Jack's Consumer Product, uh, you know, as as one of the taglines for the game. But this is a a two-player deck-building game where one player is playing the narrator and one player is playing Tyler Durden. And it is asymmetric in that, I mean, there's some back and forth, but right, each of them is pursuing distinct sorts of things. Tyler Durden is trying to destroy everything so it can be rebuilt. The narrator is trying to acquire consumer goods. And just on the theme, that's something that I'm going to want to check out, and maybe you do too, and that is uh, Fight Club from Mondo Games, which is coming out at some point in the future. Now I'm going to toss you over for a set of interviews. In fact, most of the of the episode from this point out is going to be interviews. Uh, and so you're going to hear from uh, Joey Vigor, the designer of Growl. You're going to hear my interview from the Cosmos booth. And you're going to hear a discussion of Overlord of Infamy from Obscure Reference Games. I'm here still at PAX Unplugged, and I'm talking to game designer Joey Vigor, and we're going to talk about his game Growl, which had a, already had a successful Kickstarter, right? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's been an awesome time. It, we launched it, I think, in April. Uh, we sold almost 8,000 pre-orders, and we've sold another couple thousand since then. So it's been a whirlwind six months, uh, getting ready for January or February when it comes out for worldwide release. Uh, and so, Growl, I, this is, I, I see a savage and yet cartoony werewolf coming at me. Yeah, so the art style is something I'm really proud of. It's kind of a cute... Uh, variation of the social deduction genre. I think of I think of Growl more as a cooperative game with a trader rather than a, like a mystery deduction game because you're all working together as humans, but there's a werewolf amongst you, and yes, that werewolf is cute. Yeah, and so uh, although the, the game I just watched, it that didn't seem like there were many humans left by the time you were done. No. So the way it works is. In large player counts, you have two werewolves or even three werewolves if you're playing with a high number, like 10 or 15 players. There's usually one werewolf at the beginning, and everyone else is going to start with a neutral gold card. Players are going to get a hand of cards, and three bites will turn a human into a werewolf. But a charm negates a bite, and three wounds kill either a human or a werewolf, but a salve negates that wound. So on their turn, players take the top card of the deck, and it's actually a face-up deck, give that card to another player and based on which players give which cards to who and who says don't give it to me or please give it to me you start to get an idea as what's going on then when a knight card comes up players pass a card left and pass a card right you you shuffle the cards you receive from your neighbors so you're not sure which one's a wolf humans want 
at least one human to survive, e even if they die, at the end of the game. And wolves want all players left to be wolves. Now, you mentioned this was coming out. Uh, you've got some pre-orders done already and the Kickstarter backers early next year. Uh, is, is there a place that people can still go to pre-order if they're interested in it? Well, yeah, I'm not sure when you're releasing this. For another week or two, we've got uh, Indiegogo follow-up campaign, and you can just search for Growl on Indiegogo. You can email me directly to uh, track down a copy. That's templeofgiants at gmail.com, or you can go to my website, joeyvigor.com, J-O-E-Y-V-I-G-O-U-R.com, and I'll have an order system up very, very soon. Okay, uh, so people can so Indiegogo if people want to see what it was about and follow up because th this will be out before two weeks. Okay, great. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, nice talking to you, Joey. Thanks a lot, Chris. Have a great day. Well, this is where I said that there was going to be an interview with me and Tom Wetzel of Cosmos. Unfortunately, uh, it turns out that I had a problem with that particular file. So my apologies to Tom and Cosmos. Uh, but the game that Tom and I talked about was Ubongo Fun Size Edition. Now, the original Ubongo Family Edition has been out for several years. It's sold millions of copies. And what Cosmos is doing with this new Fun Size Edition is creating a more portable, lower price point entry into the series for people to pick up. In Ubongo, each player gets a set of polyominoes, or as I like to call them, Tetris pieces. And each round, each player is taking their tiles and trying to fit them in the required spaces on a puzzle board and just do that as quickly as possible, play several rounds, see who wins. But another thing that Ubongo includes, which is really important for someone like me who has kids and kids of differing ages, is that you also have a handicap that you can play with in there that makes it hard, you can make it harder for some players and easier for other players, sort of level the playing field if you're playing with just grown-ups of different skill levels, or like I said, for me, grown-ups and then kids of different skill levels. So that is, is Ubongo Fun Size. It's available now. It's only 15 bucks, so it comes at a, a really affordable price point to pick that up for the holiday season. And again, uh, apologies to Tom and Cosmos for uh, my, my file corruption issue there. I'm here at the Expo Hall at PAX Unplugged with David Zuckman of Obscure Reference Games, and we have been looking at Overlords of Infamy. Can you tell us about that? Overlords of Infamy is a one to five player game where you take on the role of an evil overlord trying to make the world as miserable as possible. So you're going to do things like make everyone suck slightly damp or throttle internet speeds to 56k, divide by zero, blow up the moon, that sort of thing. And there's an adventuring hero that likes to mess with us there too. Uh, he'll walk around and murder our lackeys and liberate the land that we've rightfully exploited by burning it to the ground, just like a hero would. And then there are random world events that are thrown in there as well, which could be good or bad for us, but they also act as the timer of the game. So after a certain number of world events have gone by, everybody adds up their misery points from their completed plots, and then that's how you learn who has denounced the winner. Okay, uh, now I, I know you were, we were talking earlier, there's a, right, there's a lot of games where, okay, they support up to five players, but five players is really just like 
three or four players, but longer. But uh, you guys are doing something uh, different here with Overlords of Infamy. That's right. So uh, the five-player game, you have four people playing as the evil overlords, and one person gets to play as the adventuring hero and mess with all their friends. They still can win. They have uh, hero's quests that they're trying to complete, but they're also indestructible. So the overlords are kind of at their, at their whim at that point. <laughs> okay. Uh, and now you guys have... Uh, uh, something else that you're going to be bringing to Kickstarter in the near future, right? Absolutely. Uh, we have the expansion pack for Overlords of Infamy. It's called Overlords of Infamy Misery Loves Company. That's coming at the end of January. We don't have an exact date just yet, but it will add in five new Overlords, including Pancakes the Cat and Steve the Intolerable Roommate. It also adds in a sixth player. It's a dragon named Huff the Tragic Dragon who has destroyed the Kingdom of Good and turns the adventuring hero into a wandering vagabond. <laughs> so that's uh, Pancakes the Cat, and now there's uh, there is a waffles, waffles the, the corgi, dog. Yeah, okay, yeah, and that's a, uh, a Welsh corgi there. So I can I can pretend like it's a cowboy bebop in uh, Overlords of uh, yeah, Infamy crossover. It wouldn't be the first time people have referred to him as I. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks for talking to us. Thank David. you so much. Next up, and we're getting near the end of the alphabet here. So right, we're getting near the end of the show. Is is Third World, which is producing a game based on the stuff of legend which is a uh, graphic novel series illustrated by Charles Paul Wilson. And it is a story of, I think, 40s-era stuffed animals, right? You've got a lost, a boy who is lost. You've got stuffed animals and other toys. I I say stuffed animals because I mostly think of the bear, but it's not actually predominantly stuffed animals. It's just toys, you know, of, of these kids' toys. And it's got the, right, the, the, comics have this sepia tone sort of feel to them so that you know makes them all old timey but the game then is a uh, let's say arkham horror style sort of exploration game where you are moving around the board and trying to find things and trying to figure out what's going on but then threats are going to be popping up and then you have to deal with those and make sure that you don't get overwhelmed and at the same time there's the boogeyman who is coming along and how attentive and aggravated the boogeyman is will affect you know how quickly enemies come to you like how far away from the board they'll move in to get you and then boogeyman cards will flip up and invariably these are bad things that will happen to you and again so it's it's a similar sort of exploration try to get your mission done before the bad stuff can overwhelm you vibe that you have but you're old-timey toys trying to find the law the the boy who is lost next i'm going to throw this to an interview from the ultra pro booth with elisa teague the designer of geek out and the brand new lion tigers and bears oh my i'm here at the ultra pro booth at pax unplugged with elisa teague the designer of geek out and i I must be doing well because I see multiple different versions of it here on the shelf. That's right. We have four different versions of it out on the market right now, hint, hint. The core version came out, I don't know, five years ago, actually. I can't believe it's been five years. <laughs> um, and the core edition is like our, our geeky geek version, of course, and our most popular. And then we have a special tabletop version. We have a family edition. We have, oh wait, we have five editions. Wow, I misspoke. We have the um, Pop Culture Party Edition, and we have the licensed Big Bang Theory Edition that's licensed for that show. Okay, yeah, and the, so is the, the, the Table Atop Edition, that's is in the, 
you know, Will Wheaton tabletop, and is that just more is that more board game focused, or it actually has the core set inside it with an additional bonus deck that is all about tabletop, tabletop games, the show, people that have been on the show, and and basic industry luminary game designer questions. Okay, see, I I, I should probably do that one because it's a running joke sometimes how. I kind of lose track of a lot of the pulp culture things that Jay usually has to keep me up to date on. But but who does board games? That I can beat him at. Right. Well, the core edition has a board. Uh, well, it actually has a games category. So each edition has a different slight focus. So the core edition has different categories like games, comic books, sci-fi, fantasy, and miscellaneous. Right. And then the pop culture version, for example skews to TV, movies, music, literature, and miscellaneous. And the cool thing about the game is that if you're playing with a mixed crowd, like I'm the geeky one in my family, my husband's more of a pop culture guy, right? We can have both decks on the table, and on his turn, he can draw, he can choose to draw from the pop culture deck. We all still play together and bid together, and... I can choose from the geekier side, and we both feel like we have an even playing field or a better advantage on our turns, at least. You never know where the, where it's going to take you, though. Okay, yeah. And I now, you had a, a couple of special events here at PAX Unplugged. Play with the designer geek outs. How did those go? It was great. It ended up being that we did a 64-person, well, we did two 64-person events where we turned it into team trivia auction style. So the premise of Geek Out is not like a normal trivia game. I'm not asking you one question and you're giving me the definitive answer. Instead, you roll for one of those aforementioned categories and I will say, for example, if you rolled sci-fi, I read the card and it will say, name two sci-fi captains. Right Now, you don't give me those names. You say, oh, no, I can name two. And then I'll say, well, I can name three. And then the next person might say, well, I can name five. And it bids up and up and up until everybody passes but one person. It's kind of like trivia meets liar's dice or like a reverse <laughs> name that tune. And if you can meet the challenge you've set up for yourself, you get the card as a point. If you've bluffed, which a lot of people do, or if you were a little too overconfident, you get negative two points and it's the first person of five points that wins so on those events that we did this weekend we had people playing in teams and i laser cut auction paddles for everybody and they were (laughs) auctioning for their bids and it was a great time everybody had a lot of fun and we had two sold out events so that was pretty awesome yeah i I, now i'm curious what the highest bids you got on that was because like starship captains with the team you could probably have somebody bid 25 on that and nail it pretty Right. Well, that question didn't come up, but one I think the largest that came up this weekend was Kingdom Hearts characters, and the woman that was successful in that one named 38 Kingdom Hearts characters, so that's pretty good. Um, I think that Will Wheaton himself beat everybody, when, uh, not on the show, but playing privately. It was something like 60-something Star Trek characters. It was insane. So, yes, it can get pretty high. It can, depending well, who you're playing with. Well, that, that is a little bit in his wheelhouse, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he had a little bit of an unfair advantage. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but in addition to the five different versions of Geek Out, you also have a, a brand new design that's on sale here at PAX Unplugged, right? I do. Um, this one's totally different than Geek Out. This one is a 
family dice rolling game. Ultra Pro has a great game called Pass the Pandas, and this is the follow-up game to that. It's called Lions and Tigers and Bears. Oh, my. And it's for ages six and up, great for families or adults that want, like, cool, fun, five- to ten-minute fillers in between their games. And you're basically rolling dice in a, I call it a Yahtzee meets Farkle meets Pass the Pandas style game where you're trying to collect either lions or tigers or bears, but not blanks because when you roll a blank... Oh my, your die gets removed from the game and you need as many dice as possible to score your points. So it's a really cute little game. It's like a $12 MSRP and it's just out yesterday actually. I'm sorry, I'm losing track of my days because of the convention. Just this uh, PAX, Friday of PAX, is the first time it was for sale. Okay, and so is that something that had a simultaneous release here and in retail, or people need to wait a little bit to pick it up at retail? Nope, it is, it's shipping to retail now. If it's not already in your local game store, it will be this week, but it should already be there. Okay, thanks. That's uh, Geek Out and Lions and Tigers and Bears, oh my. Thanks for talking to us, Alicia. Thank you so much. <laughs> So that was uh, Elisa Teague, designer of, of Geek Out and Lions, Tigers, and Bears, Oh My. That was, of course, not the only new thing that was running around at the Ultra Pro booth. So uh, in addition to that, I think the very newest release is the Relics of the Future expansion for Shards of Infinity, which is a deck building game that itself only came out this year. And Shards of Infinity is sort of a further refinement on the sort of Ascension, Star Realms kind of concept where you have resources for acquiring cards and resources for attacking, but then it also adds in this element where you can invest in increasing your mastery level to make your cards more powerful. It's just a really tight, tight package going on with Shards of Infinity, and the, I believe that by now the Relics of the Future expansion should be available in your local stores. Penultimate entry we've got here is USAopoly and in particular they had set out demo copies of Fantastic Beasts Perilous Pursuit. This is a Harry Potter themed game based on the Fantastic Beasts series. Uh, this is fully cooperative and in this game you you have a series of beasts that come up and each one of them has to be captured. If they escape you lose. If anyone dies you lose. Right, it's it's a cooperative game. You've got one way to win and more than one way to lose. And it's a dice rolling game. And on each player's turn, they're going to roll the dice and then they have the chance to re-roll a little bit. But what you're doing with those dice is building up the abilities of each of the various people in the party. You can use it to enhance your own or you can use it to enhance others. So the different faces of the dice say things like, okay, one step on the capture track, or three steps on the capture track, or draw a card, or distract the monster, or put up a shield. But you can't just directly translate, oh, the die says shield to I get a shield. For a particular character to get a shield, for example, they first have to build up this bigger stack in order to get close to being able to use shields. And depending on the character, that might take two or it might take four. Different characters are better at different things. And so if you have, say, let's say they only need two, then you use two shield dice and hey, now they've got that one built up. If it's something that requires four, that's going to be a lot harder. But once you've got that initial block in, then 
in order to charge that power, you put an additional die there. And then any time after that you throw a die there, it'll actually generate the effect. So at the very beginning of the game, you're not going to have much out. And you're going to have to you know, deal with stuff while you try to build these up. Once you've got them built up, the, the main body things that you build, those last from monster to monster. So the monsters are going to get harder as the game goes on, but the characters are going to have more and more of these built up at the top. And you can be very strategic with them, right? Some of them are four, but you're usually not ever going to build a four unless you get an effect that just lets you drop out a block because except for shields, it mostly doesn't matter who you activate it on. If you've got two players who can already activate distract on the monster, well, you know, you need three different distract dice to assign out of the, probably out of the five you're rolling, uh, which is unlikely to come up. And on each player's turn, they roll the dice, they assign them, they activate things, they get some re-rolls to try to get the results that they want, and then the monster rolls. And if you've distracted it, what happens is that it removes dice from the pool that the monster is rolling. And exactly what happens based on different rolls depends on what the monster is. There's a little code at the bottom of its card. Uh, it might damage you. It might hit everybody. It might make somebody discard a card. It might remove a shield. You know, whatever. It's going to vary. It's not a complicated game, right? It's definitely uh, a more family-friendly game. I mean, it's it, again, we're not talking about just mass-market, non-thinking junk here. Uh, you know, these are this is a real real game. So again, if you're if you're going for the theme, that's really what you're going for. There's a lot of good cooperative games out here to choose from. But if you like the Harry Potter theme and you want this sort of cooperative game, you know, this is something to go for. I think that the the Harry Potter uh, wizard battle game, the deck building game, also from USAopoly, I think that's a better option unless you prefer this sort of game. So I, I like that one better because I like deck building games a lot, but this is a different co-op option within that Harry Potter theme that, that gets the job done. Finally, we have an interview with White Wizard Games. I'm here at PAX Unplugged, and for a change, I am not in the Expo Hall. I'm down in Hall F, the tournament area, with uh, Rob Doherty of White Wizard Games. You, you know them from Star Realms, which we absolutely love. That was a fantastic game. That was the, a big kickoff. And now you've got Hero Realms, and you've got Sorcerer coming out. And what, what, what is going on with you guys now? Uh, so, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been super busy and having a ton of fun uh, designing games. Um, we've got, for Star Realms... We just uh, delivered into stores um, uh, Star Realms Frontiers, the Star Realms Command decks, and the uh, um, Universal Storage box. Uh, so Frontiers is an all-new uh, set, 80-card trade deck with all-new ships and bases in it. Uh, it's got some new mechanics. Uh, it also it's a complete four-player game, so it's got four players worth of uh, of starting decks and explorers, um, and it can also be combined with any of the old Star Realms content. Uh, and uh, it also comes with eight uh, challenge cards, allowing you to play solo or cooperative um, in Star Realms against different uh, different space bad guys. So super sweet set. And then the command decks allow you to play as specific legendary commanders from the Star Realms universe. These are military commanders at the height of their career. They're super powerful. They have 
uh, faction preferences when you're playing them. You can still buy cards of any faction, play cards of any faction, but there's certain factions they like to use. Um, so we have one legendary commander for every two-color combo in the game, and they will start with cards of those two factions in the, right in their starting deck, uh, and they also have uh, two specialized gambits that only they get to use, uh, which also work well with those factions, and... Uh, uh, different starting authority and different uh, um, hand sizes, depending on which commander you're playing. Uh, and they are super powerful, designed to either play against another legendary commander or against two players playing regular starting decks. Um, and each one of those packs also comes with an eight-cost, two-faction mega ship that goes into the uh, into the um, uh, market deck, uh, the trade deck. You can. Uh, you could buy it playing the legendary commander, or your opponents could buy it. So uh, it's a, it's a new card for the market. Um, so those are really fun. And then we've got the universal storage box. If you've got a lot of Star Realm stuff, this box is for you. You can store every single Star Realm set we've ever made, plus a playmat if you happen to have one with some extra room for other games or future Star Realm sets. And it comes with a, uh, a sweet little promo pack uh, as well. So a lot of new stuff out for Star Realms. Sure. And now I know uh, another thing that we were just looking at was, was Sorcerer. Now, last PAX Unplugged, this was in a pre-production Kickstarter format. Since then, you've had the successful Kickstarter, right? And what's the status of Sorcerer? So Sorcerer, um, we've uh, spent the, the last six months um, going back and forth with the factory, basically getting all the components to be as perfect as we can make of them. So uh, I've uh, I've been a real stickler with this one. Um, the art and graphic design in the game are super, super beautiful. And I wanted the whole uh, experience for the players to, uh, to be at a very high level. Um, and uh, so we've been, uh, we've been redo- reworking uh, components. Um, so it's got, it's got great uh, dice. It's got really beautiful cards with rich color. It's got uh, um, pl- uh, player boards and battlefield boards that are... Um, are really attractive, um, and uh, um, so we're we're super happy with where all the components are. It's printing at the factory right now. My hope is that we'll be getting it to Kickstarter backers in the March timeframe and uh, um, and into stores this summer. It's printing overseas and shipping across the ocean. It has to go through customs and all those sorts of things. So there may be additional delays based on some factors out of our control. But uh, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully, we'll be getting that uh, um, on that schedule, and uh, I can't wait for players to see it. It's really, really beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah. You er, earlier you showed me the difference between the sort of this is the player board that the factory first came up with, and this is the player board that we ended up making the make, and it the the new one looks really gorgeous. I think people will be really happy with that. Yeah, and that's yeah one example of of the the tweaking we did. But uh, we did that with basically every component in the game. You know, the even down to the tray the stuff comes in you know going back and forth with the factory going through multiple editions of it making sure it was strong enough and and you know and worked well and you know etc so uh there was a lot of attention to detail on this uh you know we we're late uh um, delivering on this uh and basically that quality control stuff is the entire reason why um and uh I, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist on the stuff, and it can get us into a little trouble on our timelines, but I'd rather deliver it the way I want it to be than to deliver it quickly. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of our, our design philosophy there. 
Okay. Uh, and now I also know that now right now there's a, a Hero Realms Kickstarter going on that ends on I think the the fifth, so it's probably done by the time that people listen to this. But uh, then you know that'll end up retail. What's going on with uh, Hero Realms Journeys? So uh, yeah, that ends at Thursday at 10 p.m. Um, Eastern Time. So uh, but if you if you missed out on uh, if you missed that uh, deadline, you can uh, check out the Kickstarter page. Um, you can. Uh, uh, you can pre-order it there, or you can, you know, obviously you can order stuff from your uh, local game store. Um, and uh, this is a, a bunch of new content for Hero Realms. We've got uh, the Journeys packs, which are four new packs for Hero Realms. You've got two packs which contain um, new champions and uh, action cards. Um, uh, so this will just add to your market deck, um, give you uh, some nice new uh, card, card variety. Um, and we also have two new card types. We've got quests and relics. Quests uh, give you a secret objective at the beginning of the game uh, when you're playing PvP or an objective you can share, you show your friends and try and work toward together if you're playing cooperative. Um, and um, when you complete a, uh, a quest, you um, immediately acquire a relic card for free. Uh, and uh, relic cards are powerful items um, that do something immediately upon acquiring them. So some of them will go on top of your deck. Um, some of them will um, uh, give you a, a bonus effect when they're acquired. Um, others uh, give you uh, uh, or, or will go directly into your hand. Um, so whenever you get a relic, it'll have an immediate impact on the game. Plus, it'll be a cool additional card f uh, for your deck. So uh, And the um, additional relics uh, beyond the number you need to, to support your quests get shuffled into the market deck. Or if you're playing without quests, you can just shuffle all the relics into the market deck because they have a cost printed on them. But when you acquire them through a quest, you don't have to pay the cost. You get it for free. Um, so uh, um, so uh, that's the journeys. Then there's also in the Kickstarter a ancestry pack. This is super cool. This allows you to play as a dwarf or an elf or a, a orc or an ogre or a small folk. Um, and um, these races can be used in addition to classes. So you can use them with a regular starting deck out of the base game or you can use them with the character packs. Um, so for example, you could play as a dwarven ranger or an elven fighter or a small folk wizard, any class race combination. So it massively increases the number of potential matchups for PVP or the options you have for selecting your character for uh, cooperative uh, play through the campaign. Um, and then finally, um, we have uh, the uh, Lost Village, which is a uh, which is part two of the campaign. So um, we have the uh, Rune of Thandar campaign, which allow which transforms your runs into a cooperative leveling deck building game. Super sweet. If you haven't tried it, you got it. It's awesome. Um, and the uh, that story um, uh, ends with a, a teaser for where the you know where what the party is going to be doing next. 
Um, and uh, the Lost Village picks up exactly from that point, continues the story, new adventures to go on, new treasures to find, and of course, more experience to earn so you can upgrade, for, further upgrade your skills and ability cards uh, for your characters. Um, so that's uh, super fun. And just like Daruna Thandar, it's got a ton of replay value because different choices will result in different monsters to fight and different, uh, uh, and different rewards throughout the, you know, throughout the campaign. Um, so all that stuff's coming for Hero Realms, and uh, we're super excited about it. Okay, uh, we're really looking forward to that. Thanks for talking to us. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> and that was uh, Rob Doherty at White Wizard Games, and that wraps up our PAX Unplugged 2018 episode. Let me again just shout out to say how awesome PAX Unplugged is. It will be, I'm right. It, it will be around in 2019. I have every intention of going in 2019. If you are in the vicinity of the Northeast, you can get to Philadelphia in November. It's really worth hitting up. They run the operation very smoothly. I think we're going to see a lot of change in PAX Unplugged over the next few years as it continues to expand. I hope that it is able to expand while maintaining its own distinct vibe, right? I love Gen Con, but I already go to Gen Con every year. It'd be nice to continue to have this distinct sort of a feeling that you get from PAX Unplugged. I hope that someday I'm able to look back and when I go to PAX Unplugged, I can think of like, ah, this is, you know, the place I always do this at PAX Unplugged. And this is always, and, and I know that's kind of contradictory. Like I want to see them be different, but then you, you know, you have that nostalgia thing. Cause I, I heavily get that at Gen Con whenever I go to Gen Con now, like you've been there so many times at the same place and you remember all these locations and the fun things you did there and I I think it will but I really hope that that Plax Unplugged is able to have the legs to continue on so that you know 10 years from now I'm able to to look back at you know my my 10 episodes of coverage of Pax Unplugged but you have been listening to Strange Assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the Apple Podcasts app, the Google Play Music Store, Spotify, Stitcher, probably anywhere that you can download a podcast. If you're downloading your podcast from somewhere and this one isn't available for subscription there, let me know and I will address the situation. You can reach me. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your feedback, comments, criticism, whatever you got. That's Chris at strangeassembly.com. You can also find us on the usual social media. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly at strangeassembly on Twitter and strangeassembly on Instagram. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.